Alrighty, we're back. Your favorite podcast show of the week. This is Location Weekly. It's episode number 512, and we're recording live on April the 13th. Uh, Brianna, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I am, uh, you know, it's like gearing up for packing and moving and, you know, just trying to take it one day at a time, but good. Family's healthy and work is good, so no complaints here. How yeah. are you? You had a good trip to New York. You're back home. and I did. It was weird, you know, like just seeing New York like that is is very, um, it's very odd when you're just so used to all the, the hustle and the movement. And there's still some of that during the day, obviously, yeah. but it's definitely a lot calmer and more empty than, than we've ever seen it um, in our lifetimes. So uh, it was interesting, but you know, it's New York, it'll come back and it was a good trip. So we found some good places and just wrapping that up. Um, so yeah, I'm starting to get excited. Excellent. Yeah, no, things are good here. You know, we're, we're in lockdown here in the province of Ontario. Um, cases are, are rising a bit. So we're waiting for sort of that balance of the vaccines and, and the cases to sort of kind of get things under control. But uh, hopeful, you know, in the next few weeks, that will be the case. And, um, you know, I'm hoping I can get mine, hopefully, in the next three, four weeks. That would be great. Um, so it's the, it's the one time where you actually want to be older than you are, because they started with the, like, the 80 plus group, and then they're working backwards. And I'm like, uh, yeah, um, I don't know. But anyhow, um, you know, otherwise, things are good. Um, the weather's, you know, been nice. We've, you know, been having a good spring so far, so can't complain too much. Yeah. Um, so we've got a good show. Four stories that we want to cover. Some interesting things this week that are kind of outside of the normal uh, location discussion, um, but uh, very interesting nonetheless. I'll let you kick it off with uh, a pretty cool story. Yeah. So this is from probably one of my all-time favorite retailers, uh, Trader Joe's, and they are working to make the world a more accessible place for people with cognitive and intellectual disabilities. Maybe not necessarily the world, but at least their stores. Uh, so they are partnering up with an app called Magnus Cards by Magnus Mode. Um, and it, this, this new app launched this month and uh, with April being Autism Acceptance Month, um, you know, they're the first grocer to be involved in this. So this is pretty interesting. So basically what the app does is it offers these digitalized uh, card decks and they kind of guide consumers or users through different tasks and activities that might be difficult for um, or challenging or overwhelming, you know, for, for people who have autism or um, other uh, cognitive disabilities. So they're offering Trader Joe's has five card decks specifically for them. And, and they use these visual clues that help them like, for example, how to check out your items or sensory experiences within the store and things like that. And they also have um, the option to have audio enhancement to kind of guide you through this. So pretty cool. Um, and I, you know, I, one, I love Trader Joe's and I love that a grocery store is thinking about how do we make this experience better for kind of everybody um, and, and the inclusivity that they have with this? Um, so I think this is a great effort um, by them. I think that they're you know a great grocery store anyways. I do probably 90% of my shopping at Trader Joe's. Um, so I love this. 
But selfishly, I'm like, please, 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 though, please offer delivery. Please, please change your mind on that. <laughs> but yeah, this is a great story. And I and I love this that they're, you know, thinking about uh, the, the consumer experience from multiple perspectives and not just what, you know, is the norm or status quo or or those of us who are, you know, healthy, completely healthy and, and blessed to be that way. So, um, yeah, I like the story. What do you think? Yeah, I do too. Um, you know, unfortunately we don't have uh, Trader Joe's here, uh, in Canada. Um, I, I've been to a few Trader Joe's in my travels over the years. Uh, great experience, great, uh, great environment, um, and, uh, and great products, um, for sure that are kind of unique, right. That are hard to find you know, similar things everywhere else. So, you know, but, but specifically to this story, I, I like that, you know, brands are finding ways to kind of, um, you know, not just sort of expand their offerings or, or their product, uh, you know, inventory or things like that, but make their, their stores and make their locations accessible to, you know, as many customers as possible. I think delivery would go a long way, especially in COVID times to your point. But I think if they're not, even if they're not going to do that, you know, addressing those that are, uh, you know, have challenges like autism, um, I think makes a ton of sense. And I think this is a great way to do that. I was reminded of a, a, a similar story um, as you were talking in Starbucks launched a, a platform not too long ago. In fact, just I, I think in the last number of months um, across all their stores for those with uh, visually impaired. And um, so they've got a... Um, uh, an app called I think it's called era a I think it's a I R a don't quote me on that and basically so if you're a visually impaired person and you have this app on on your Starbucks uh, like as you walk into a Starbucks um, you can connect with somebody um, and then through the camera on your phone like a live person can basically walk you through what you're seeing so they can tell you about the, the items in the pantry uh, you know um, uh, that are going on there, like the baked goods, they can tell you, you know, help navigate you, uh, you know, using uh, voice and visual uh, using the camera on your phone. So it's like having somebody with you, like a sighted person with you, you mm -hmm. know, through this, uh, through this app experience. And I thought, you know, again, like similar to the Trader Joe's, um, you know, the Magnus cards uh, deployment here, I think brands are finding ways to you know, activate their locations and make them, you know, just more accessible. And, and I think that's a good thing. Um, and uh, I think it would be interesting, you know, in the Starbucks example, I, I think that I, I found it interesting that it was a separate app um, that you had to install and not like something that they could bake into the Starbucks app proper, um, mm -hmm. you know, to sort of keep the sort of the experience all in one brand. And I guess similarly here with uh, with this experience, you know, the Magnus Cards piece for Trader Joe's, you know, I, I wonder about that sort of separation of, of the technology uh, into two separate platforms uh, to empower that. And I just wonder, it, it may it may just be that, you know, um, you know, those other technology companies are focused on sort of updating the software and the environments and the sort of tools and things there and, and maintaining that. Um, and that's would be more difficult to do sort of baked into the corporate app, if you will. Um, that being said, I think, you know, looking for ways to sort of deeply embed, um, you know, functionality or, you know, uh, through some sort of APIs or whatever could be done, I think. But yeah, I think it just depends. So, you know, if, if 
there is an app that is um, kind of servicing that group of of people, you know, um, in the best way possible and offering them a lot within that one application. I think it does make sense to go that route versus embed that in your own app because, you know, likely, for example, Starbucks, you know, somebody who is visually impaired is not going to be using the Starbucks app, right? Um, They might be using something else. So I think that on that note, it makes sense. But you just reminded me too, um, a story that we covered probably two years ago, it's been a while, but I think it was the giant grocery store. And we had talked about how in Pennsylvania, they had a robot that was kind of helping navigate and help you find things within the store. Um, And we were, you know, we, we passed through Pennsylvania on our way to New York and that's where all my in-laws are. And so um, my kids were very excited that they got to see the the uh, robot in Giant, but you know it's like all these things that that more and more grocers specifically, but are rolling out and saying like, hey, how can we help the consumer experience? How, how can we help people find things? How can we help uh, a variety of people, maybe those with disabilities? And I think it's great to expand our vision of what the consumer journey is going to look like. So, yeah, love it. Alrighty, uh, moving on to our second story now. So uh, we'll head over to Australia, where um, Out of Home Media uh, has launched a platform called the Audience Intelligence Hub. So this is an online data resource that basically pulls together um, information on more than 4,000 out-of-home screens uh, across uh, Australia. Uh, So these are roadside built billboards, shopping center uh, screens, offices, cafes, uh, university campuses, et cetera, where these screens are. Um, And they say that um, uh, out of homes, retail and road networks reach uh, very large audiences, averaging more than 450 million contacts weekly. Um, And that's right now, like in in the first uh, part of 2021. So, you know, so, so I think what, what I'm interested about in this story, and I kind of go all the way back to the early days of the LBMA and when we were looking at this idea of, you know, sort of people, places and media and all media, um, including out of home. And, you know, we, we did a lot of work uh, in those early days with, uh, you know, companies like Clear Channel and CBS Outdoor and so on. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think the, the interesting thing for me, one of the challenges that I always saw in, specifically in the out-of-home space was you had a lot of, of players who owned real estate, who owned screens, inventory. Um, but as a brand, you know, you sort of had to say, okay, I'm, I, you know, I'm going out and I'm, I, I want my ad on these particular screens, which happen to be, you know, clear channel or, you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, you do your deal and, and that's it. And, and I think it's challenging to, you know, sort of look at a way from a, you know, sort of media buying point of view or a brand activation point of view to say, look, you know, I, I want screens across multiple, you know, uh, inventory uh, providers um, in different environments. And, you know, I think for third parties that want to build you know, app experiences or engagement experiences connected to the content on those screens or, or those billboards. Um, there was no easy way to kind of really know, here's all the inventory that's out there, here's the current ads that are placed on there, um, and, you know, have some sort of real-time insight into that, right? And I think, 
one of the opportunity, opportunities I see coming out of a story like this is an ability to have that kind of you know, visibility and transparency across multiple providers, potentially, um, you know, to kind of bring that insight to bear. Because I always look at it, look, if I wanted to build, let's say, a mobile app that uh, created an ability to check into a billboard and create a you know, connection between the content on the billboard and you know, social media, let's say. Uh, or something like that, you know, being able to do that where I knew through the, the mobile app, you know, platform, you know, what ads were on what screens and what billboards across all networks, you know, all of a sudden I have like a, a much bigger, uh, you know, wider audience and experience I can play with. So, I, so, so that's what I'm excited about in this story. And that's a long way to say, I think uh, we need to see this kind of, uh, of solution across, you know, every country right now. So. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, really it's about reaching the right audience with your advertising. And so finding that right audience could span across lots of different providers, um, you know, in a lot of different areas, in store, out of store, billboard, you know, digital, whatever. So I think having that ability to sort of streamline that um, and contextually provide that relevance to advertisers is, is uh super important right now, especially as we're moving more away from that one-to-one -one model and more just kind of looking at contextual and audience, um, you know, as a whole. So I think that this is, it is good to see that there's, uh, I don't know, there's, there's growth and there's like an open-mindedness to embrace that um, in this way. Yeah. Okay. So sort of similar, but uh, a little bit different and, and coming from a partnership that is bringing together two of my favorite places, uh, Spain and Atlanta. So there is a new uh, partnership between a company called Ladorian, which is based in Madrid. And they have this software solution that specializes in um, personalized data-driven messaging in physical retail stores. Um, so they are partnering with a, an Atlanta company called InReality, and they are a venue analytics software platform. So think of Ladorian is the, is the company that's providing, um, you know, the data intelligence and, and connected data points. And they, and they have this smart communication channel. Uh, they look at factors like weather, demographics, um, and other events. And then they can combine that with inventory, sales, mobile ERPs, profiles, shopper patterns, and all those things. So they can serve up this ideal message for, for the viewer, um, you know, that location, that in-store moment. Kind of going back to what everybody's been wanting to do, like the right message at the right time to the right people. Uh, and then in reality's technology is layering in a retail centric venue analytics software that builds, uh, builds up data on consumer patterns and behavior in stores. So in reality is utilizing the camera vision to gauge traffic, dwell, impressions, um, engagement throughout specific areas or points of interest. And then they can look at age, gender, mood. Um, and then they have this AI algorithm that's taking all of this that correlates the data, they could use it for reporting, they can export it, you know, predict, predictive uh, analytics as well, um, and enable this dynamic content. So obviously this, this collaboration makes a lot of sense with the two different things that they are, they're bringing together. Um, Ladorian has been primarily, you know, focused on Spain. They are being used in 5,000 plus stores, but they're active in six countries now. And now they're working through um, a Miami-based subsidi subsidiary to go after this U.S. market, right? 
Um, so they're going to use this and they'll work across digital signage, interactive displays, electronic labels, even within the store's CRM. Um, you know, I think this is interesting. They're, they they related like the kind of cookie based and, and uh, you know, digital interactions that we have online. So they talked about how the click through is now eye contact. That's how they're they're relating it and how the click for acquisition is like, hey, I want to I want to pay. Um, and I think this is an interesting concept. And, and like I said, I think this collaboration makes a lot of sense. There's three concerns that I that I have two big ones, right? One is like, what's the longevity of the data that they're using and pulling in? Um, you know, how long can that that be available at scale? And then the facial recognition thing is like, it's a little bit creepy. You know, there is a facial recognition aspect to this. Um, and, you know, that to me is is like, I don't know how, how much that's going to scale or how many consumers are going to be okay with that. And then the other, the other one smaller detail that gave me a little bit of pause was they were talking about interacting with consumers with the right message at the point of sale. And for me, I feel like at the point of sale is too late, right? Like you've already done your shopping, you're checking out. That's like when you're wrapping things up. So that's kind of, um, you know, delayed. I'm sure there's other opportunities throughout the, the store experience, uh, you know, that they're, that they're interacting as well. Um, but the big ones, of course, are longevity of the data as well as the, the facial recognition. Um, but overall, you know, I think this is, you know, it, it's not necessarily a new concept. We've talked about this a lot, but it's good to see these two, um, you know, two companies in different parts of the world coming together to bring their, their software um, and their IP together and kind of make something uh, unique and, and try to scale that around the globe. So. Yeah, uh, so I, I like this partnership. I, I think, you know, without sort of uh, reiterating everything you said, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting about Ladorian for me, other than the sort of real time personalized messages at the point of sale stuff, which, I, you know, I, I think there is value in that, but I, but I, I'll, I'll agree with your point that I think um, it may be, you know, too late or you need to at least complement it with something else earlier in the journey within the store. And I think in reality, you know, sort of, you know, the in reality part of that sort of addresses kind of what's going on throughout the store with the, you know, the computer vision uh, pieces and, and that type of thing. And, you know, the in reality is, is, is a company that, you know, we know well, uh, Laura Davis Taylor, um, you know, who's High Street Collective, you know, been involved with Retail Loco uh, and so on, is now the chief strategy officer over there. So, you know, shout out to her, um, hope everything's well. Um, but, um, you know, we, um, it, it, you know, I, I think, two things I like about this. One is, is I, I think, you know, it takes something that's, you know, well deployed in, 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 um, in Europe, you know, 5,000 stores, as you talked about. One of the really interesting things about Ladorian that I found in the story was it's not just technology. They also operate sort of almost an entire, you know, creative ad agency component to what they do. They have a full content development team going on over there. So they're, they're not just giving you technology, they're actually working with you to sort of optimize and build the content for you, which I think is super interesting um, because you don't often see that in a sort of all in, you know, tech company, right? Um, and then I think when you sort of blend the data insights aspect of what can come out of, you know, what in reality uh, tracks, you know, through, you know, their technology and solutions and can trigger, um, 
you know, real time, you know, content on screens and things like that, um, then I think it becomes, um, you know, even more pow powerful in that sense, right? Um, and what was that, uh, what's that place, uh, the name escapes me now, uh, we went to for the, uh, the retail tour in Atlanta, the, the market. Um, oh, Pond City. Pond City Market, that's it. Yeah, so like, you know, they, they were, you know, we were looking at the High Street Collective stuff there, um, you know, and I think, you know, some of the ways that the technology was being deployed there, you know, using screens and creating, you know, sort of personalized and real-time experiences in that type of lab environment, I think is, is you know, lends itself well to this type of, of mashup of technology, right? So, yeah, I'm excited to see where this can go. And, and I especially like that it's, it's already proven, you know, elsewhere, and now they're kind of bringing it into the U.S. market, hopefully into the Canadian market as well. So um, we'll see. Um, yeah, like there were aspects of it that kind of remind me of ground level and, you know, the indoor tracking and the hardware aspects that that are part of this collaboration. Um, and there is something to be said for the fact that this has been successful in Europe, which is one of the, you know, primary uh, privacy concern places, right? So if it can work there, then it seems like it, it could be, uh, you know, there's an opportunity to scale that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I completely agree with that. So, um, we'll leave it at that and let's, let's move on to our final story. This one's really interesting for me. Um, so we're talking about a company called Ulysses. And this is a company who claims that uh, their goal in life uh, is to provide location data from every car on the planet. And uh, so they say with uh, the exception of, of cars in North Korea and Cuba, they have access to data being thrown off by, you know, ODBC drivers and other, um, you know, devices that are baked into modern day cars today. Um, and uh, can, can give us a lot of location data and a lot of you know, other data related to what's going on with these vehicles. Um, they say that uh, roughly 100 million new cars are manufactured, uh, manufactured worldwide each year. Increasingly, those cars are you know, auto like connected to the manufacturer. You know, think about Tesla you know, on the one extreme and um, you know, where, where we are with a lot of other you know, sort of manufacturers right now. They claim they already have access to more than 15 billion vehicle locations around the world every month. And it estimates by 2025, 100% of new cars will be connected and transmitting gigabytes of collectible data per hour. So first off, I think this is mind boggling, like to think about one company being able to kind of, you know, collect and broker all of that data um, across every vehicle on the planet. Um, we know the car companies are certainly, um, you know, trying to also monetize some of this on their own. Um, but I think it's interesting that there's like a, a third party company out there um, that is able to kind of, you know, gather and amass this amount of data. Um, I think the, the, the second thing for me is, you know, I think about the story in the context of the other discussions we've been having for a number of months about, you know, sort of the deprecation of the IDFA and, and all that's going away on app, you know, data and SDKs and all of that. And does this kind of data somewhat, uh, you know, hedge against that a little bit? Like, yes, you don't necessarily have the phone and, and know that person walked into the store, 
but you might know that their car just parked, you know, outside the store or, you know, something like that. Uh, so it may give you some approximation of what's going on in terms of the movements of people uh, based on the vehicles, uh, if you can connect those things up together. So I think that's an interesting concept to think about for some of these other players out there um, that may be you know, struggling in our industry. But I, I, I'm very, very intrigued with this, with this company. Um, I know the uh, Senator Wyden uh, and the, and the, um, you know, the, uh, the Wall Street Journal and some of these guys that have been, you know, over, you know, sort of writing pieces lately. I know I contributed to one a little while ago, um, you know, about the government's use, the U.S. government's use of this kind of data um, for, you know, sort of all sorts of different purposes and whether they, they have the rights to buy this data and use that data without any, you know, seeking a warrant or getting consent, you know, or things like that. So I think there's certainly a lot of issues. There's a lot of privacy. There's a lot of consent issues that need to be looked at um, because I think most people are generally unaware. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just throw that out there that their car is throwing off data. Um, you know, we should be aware that our phone is throwing off data and, and it's, you know, it's in our face that our, you know, our data is being shared all the time and, you know, we're getting these notifications and from the apps and so on, but we're not getting that from our car. And I think that's something that we need to think about. Are there going to be similar uh, rules and requirements around, you know, that type of data as we go forward? Um, but in the, in the short term, I, uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity here for the industry to tap into something like this as a, as a way to sort of hedge against what's going on uh, with the other data. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with most of everything you said. I think that, um, you know, the, for me, I feel like the, the, the reality of what consumers are really fearful of is is government use of the data, not necessarily advertising use of the data, right? Like we're not, we're not fearful of, you know, um, I don't, I don't know, Samsung wanting to sell me more electronics, right? Like we're, we are more concerned with the government, um, you know, overreaching and, and infringing on, on people's basic rights to privacy or, you know, kind of having that mi minority report type of a, of a government and you know a situation, so I think that that is that does give me a lot of pause. And you want to, it, you know, I have a lot of questions as well. Like, what type of data are they getting? Is it identifiable at an individual level? Um, you know, how like are they getting vehicle registration information alongside of this data? Like, what else is there is there that they're combining? Because you know, it's not far fetched to say that somebody couldn't get that as well, right? There is. There is that type of data that's available, and and lots of um, you know car manufacturers use that for their advertising to say like, oh, I want to advertise to people who are due for a new car or who have bought this type of car before, or you know things like that. But when you combine that with the location data of the vehicles and all of you know potentially what is out there, you know it definitely gives you some some concerns. Um, I do think that there's a lot of opportunity as well from a marketing and advertising perspective or just uh, from a smart cities perspective, right? For planning, for transportation, for understanding the movement um, and how cities are growing and expanding. So I think that there is opportunity, but um, it, it certainly makes you think like, if, if money is the end all be all for these companies, they'll definitely be selling to the government, which most of the time it is. So it, it gives you 
do some concern. And, and like you said, how is it possible that one company has access to all this data, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it's a little crazy. So uh, definitely something to pay attention to and dig into more. I certainly am going to go spend some time and kind of learn more about these guys and, uh, and see, uh, you know, see, see what else is going on, who else is using this and um, kind of go from there. But uh Definitely uh, relevant to uh, the world of the LBMA and location-based uh, marketing and advertising and uh, and data. So, uh, uh, an interesting story. So that's it. That's our show for this week. Uh, you've been listening to episode number five hundred and twelve of Location Weekly. We thank you for your time. Um, reach out to us if you have feedback, story ideas. Of course, uh, give us some love on social media or the uh, whatever podcast platform you. Uh, consume this on and um you know we'll be back next week with another show thanks everybody have a great week bye